0: You're listening to Making
1: Life Brighter Radio, and we're here live in Lake Placid, New York. And I have with me Nick Cunningham, who is a two-time Olympian. And uh, welcome to Making Life Brighter Radio. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, this is wonderful. And Nick is initially from Monterey, California, and uh, calls that home, even (laughs) though he's sort of now here in Lake Placid. And so I wanted to talk with Nick today because he is a bobsledder, and he is a consummate bobsledder. And he's been through the trials of being a pro athlete in terms of bobsled status all the way along. And so tell us a little bit about your sport. What are you within that sport?
2: Um, I'm actually a pilot, so it's, it's a driver. Uh in in other terms, and it's my job is to get the crew down. So you're
1: God. <laughs> I pretty much it.
2: Uh, I, I like to think so. My um, my my job is to really you know push the limit and try to get my crew down as fast as possible, and as safe as possible. So you know we're kind of flirting on that edge of out of control, in control.
1: So do you consider yourself, and I mean this sincerely, a bit of a control freak in order to handle that, like pilots of of airliners and things? You know they're very. Precision-oriented people. I
2: mostly in automobiles, in cars and in, in vehicles. I am. I have to drive. I don't like being driven. But in in public transportation, I'm okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm okay with everybody so else. So you
1: have a balance. And this, I mean this sincerely. You have a balance of being able to receive and to perform, to be able to take something on and, and handle it as well as lay lay back and let someone else handle it. I do.
2: Yeah. It's if 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 I'm on all the time, I'll burn myself out. And I've kind of found that that good kind of Common ground of where I can be successful in, in both.
1: So you've been to the Olympics twice. Tell us what that's like. Tell us what, how you got there, what participation you had in it.
2: Um, right it, it was the most unbelievable experience I've ever had, and that's it's honestly what keeps me coming back every four years. You know, as as an athlete before the Olympic Games or even at, before Team USA, I was like, what makes an athlete be broke away from home, missing all kinds of you know family events, and what what drives them to to sacrifice so much and then you walk into that opening ceremony and it's like this is why you know it's it's to watch the whole world come together and and to be on that stage and to kind of share the limelight with some of the greatest athletes in the world it's been it it, it keeps me coming back and, and that's going to be the hardest thing to leave is being able to be kind of on that stage and 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 compete for my country
1: so, what two opening ceremonies did you attend?
2: Uh, the Vancouver 2010 Olympics and the Sochi 2014 Olympics.
1: And of the two, which one was more fun?
2: Um, it, it's it's tough because they're so different. It's 2010 was was really cool because my first Olympics. It's in Vancouver, so it's the same time zone as where I grew up. Um, my family was able to to yeah. fly right into Seattle and drive in, so it was an easy trip home where Sochi was a lot harder of a trip to to get to and and that felt like a very foreign olympics to us um going over to russia and and being in in that environment but it was still a cool thing to see such a different culture you know that's one of the first times i've had culture shock of, of going to a different country and so that was kind of the the unique difference between the two.
1: And what was the difficulty in the culture shock? What did you What did you notice most the besides the food? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the food. that was mainly the food, um, and, and I'd probably say the language barrier. Um, yeah. In a lot of the European countries, they all speak English, so it's 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 pretty easy to get around into Talk to other athletes, where to to communicate with the Russians and get around. It's it's impossible. We we'll, we we're fine as athletes driving around Germany and going from Germany to Switzerland to Austria, and we can we can manage ourselves. When we go to Russia, it's. We can't understand understand street signs. We can't look at food. We don't know what we're doing. So it's uh, that would probably be the biggest thing is the language barrier there.
1: How do you negotiate that?
2: Uh, a lot of a lot of nonverbal communication. <laughs> a lot of hand signals.
1: You know, it seems to me that someone who's been in the Olympics more than once is unique in so far as they have a great drive. Now you've been to school. You're a sergeant?
2: I'm a sergeant in the Army, yes ma'am.
1: When did you have time for that? Um, like, where is that? I decided to <laughs> fill up
2: my plate with everything. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I joined the Army after the 2010 Olympics. Um, there's a, a great program that I'm able to be a part of called the World Class Athlete Program, and they take active duty soldiers and we and National Guard soldiers, and they put us on orders to compete for our country and compete for the Army. So it's, it's a super cool program how it allows me to kind of have the the financial backing and the support of the army and the best part about it is they actually take a lot of paralympians a lot of uh, soldiers that are hurt and injured in combat and maybe lost a limb and we're looking at potentially you know being removed from the army and this is an outlet for them to stay in the army and compete for the country and still wear the army uniform and they have the greatest appreciation for it. So it's, it's just a really cool program to, to do that. And then um, school, I decided to go back and get my master's degree. Um, and the Army actually helped with that with the GI Bill. So uh, I, I just figured I, I've watched a lot of athletes come out of their sport and they don't look at the future. Athletics won't go on forever. So I need to, I need to plan for down the road. Um, It's inevitable. It's going to end eventually, whether I like it or not. So I'm I'm planning for that. Uh, Hopefully, it's down the road, but it's uh, you never know.
1: That's phenomenal. That is such a beautiful program and such a great thing because those people, especially if they've been wounded, Mm -hmm. their big thing is they can't serve anymore and they don't have that purpose. And this gives them another funnel for that purpose. It's
2: to, and they honestly have the greatest outlook on life because they've been given a second chance yeah these people have been blown up in IEDs uh helicopter crash you know everything you can think of and they will come in and they are smiling and laughing and it it drives us the able-bodied athletes to be like you know maybe that workout isn't as hard as I thought it was or maybe you know I don't need to complain about getting up early because they are so positive so it's it's just a humbling, I'm sure. It really is. And without the Army program, without World Class Athlete Program, WCAP, I wouldn't be in the sport. I wouldn't be able to afford it. I wouldn't be able to move on. So it's, I joined the Army because of bobsled, but now I'm able to bobsled because of the Army. So, you know, they've kind of taken that, that main role. And we're all soldiers first. So it's, a, it's an awesome program.
1: Wow. I actually, I'm blown away. I'm a little (laughs) speechless. I'm trying to catch my brain up to this because I can feel it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's incredible. That's very humbling for me to hear. And, and thank you, you are wearing USA twice.
2: It's, It's honestly to be able to wear both uniforms is the most humbling thing you can do to, to know that you share so much in common. You know, it's, it's a pretty small group. When, when you wear the Team USA at the Olympic Games, but when you put on the US Army across your heart, it's, yeah. there's nothing else like that feeling of knowing what so many are sacrificing to go through that. And I think I sacrifice a lot for my sport. Mm-hmm. And then I talk to these soldiers who, you know, aren't even athletes, they are actually, you know, they're going away and being deployed. Um, it, it's very humbling to see what they have to do. My National Guard unit actually is, is deploying soon and, and that was a very hard experience to, to kind of watch them go and make that decision if i was going to go or or stay and train for the olympics so it's uh it's pretty unique to to kind of watch both sides
1: do they want you to stay and do the olympics again
2: they they do yeah i mean it's it's they they left it up to me and i actually talked to a lot of a lot of people in my unit and and my uh Kind of chain of command and because hard for me you know i i signed on the dotted line just like everybody else like why should i get any special perks why do i have to miss going away right. for an extended period of time when they all have to leave their families is it because i'm an athlete i don't think that's enough so you know it took a lot for them to talk to me and, and really kind of see my purpose as this and and as a when they're over there they're going to be watching us race as a motivation and I'll be you know keeping tabs on them so so it's you know if anything I can do this season it's going to kind of just try to try to be able to motivate them and and uh sure race race with all of them behind me
1: you're you're giving back to them while they're in the Mm -hmm. middle of uh maybe chaos exactly exactly and in in turn you get the motivation of staying into it on account of them Mm -hmm. right it makes me appreciate it a lot
2: more it really does you know it's going day in day out year after year you kind of get stuck in this monotonous rut uh-huh. you know is it, everyone thinks that it's, it's all team usa all the time and you, you do get in a rut it, it turns into a job and so to have that backing and to to re-get that motivation in me yeah you know that's that's what i need for the next 18 months going into the olympic games that's that's i need to have that motivation and that support and and be able to just focus on on what i have kind of moving ahead
1: I have chills from head to toe <laughs> i really do I'm, I'm i'm really blown away in the moment it's like wow that's that's thank incredible you. It's, it's unbelievable no thank you that's that's wonderful i i had a set of questions and now i like have to regroup here
3: <laughs>
1: it's amazing so you know what struck me is um and what i loved about learning about you so far and i'm enjoying meeting you and learning about you is that you like country music.
2: Love it. (laughs) I I love the story. I love just that blue collar mentality, you know, that that rodeo mentality of-
1: You're a rodeo guy.
2: I love love the rodeo, you know, never competed professionally, never competed remotely in anything, but I was able to to ride some bulls in college and get to go with those guys and, and be on the road with them and attend many, many rodeos from California to Nevada, to Idaho, Colorado, all to New York, you know, whoever thought there was rodeos in New York and Vermont, I had no idea they're up here and they are actually really good. <laughs> but to to come up here and, and just kind of know what it takes to live that lifestyle that you pay to play, you know, you're only as good as yeah. your last ride and, and you only get paid if you compete well. So I do think that that mentality has carried over to my athletics Because I I take that blue-collar mentality that you get only out of it what you put into it, Mm -hmm. and so I I I love it.
1: Wow, Uh, you know who's your favorite, absolute favorite country star?
2: Oh, that's tough. Um, I mean, you got to go with the George Strait. Okay, top five. Okay, I mean, George Strait by far (laughs) is the king. I, I mean, that's as cliche as that is. He's he's a top. Uh, you know, Garth Brooks is one of the best entertainers of our time. Yeah. Whether you like country or not, you have to you have to agree with that. Did
1: you see him in Vegas at all? I did not. Ah.
2: But, but he's he's, awesome. he's actually going back out, and and hopefully I can catch him. I was able to see George Strait though, and uh, and that was that was pretty amazing. Um, you know, I I like Jason Aldean. I love Justin Moore. Um, John Party. He's actually a Northern California guy, so I really like him as well. Um, you know. I, I just like kind of being, just the music. I love it. I love going to Nashville and and being able to see our stuff. I only went once, and I had to make sure I had a return flight because I was, <laughs> you would have I, stayed was there. I would have, I would have stayed. So limited amount of clothes, and and I made sure I had to expensive flight home that I had to catch. So yeah,
1: yeah. I went to the CM, CMAs c m a s one time, and uh, it was one of the more incredible moments of my yeah, life. And uh, you know, country music has heart and soul, and that's what I I. I really feel in sitting here with you is is that heart and soul. Mm -hmm. And there's as much as there's a driving super athlete, there's a compassionate, open hearted person. And I want to get into that as we go forward and keep talking. Of course. what find out really kind of what drives you and what's underneath that you're listening to making life brighter radio we're gonna be right back right after this commercial break and we're talking with Nick Cunningham two-time Olympian so stay tuned we'll be right back with more Nick Cunningham here in Lake Placid New York
3: do you want to make a difference in the world Join Making Life Brighter Radio to help create a free roam sanctuary for elephants in South America. Finally, there's a working solution for elephants on our planet. People often say they don't know what to do to help animals that are in danger. But now you can team up with Making Life Brighter Radio and your host Winifred Adams to give elephants from Brazil and Argentina the freedom to roam in a wild sanctuary in a remote area of Brazil. Free to socialize, heal, and live the life they were always meant to live your contribution will build the fences and the elephant care center for the massive free roam sanctuary and set these sacred animals free donate today and mention you heard it on making life brighter radio listen to the amazing series live from brazil where winifred speaks to ceo and board president of the global sanctuary for elephants to donate and for more information log on to GlobalElephants.org.
0: and we're back you're listening to making
1: life brighter radio and we are live in lake placid with nick cunningham two-time olympian and we are talking about what it takes to be great inside the mind of an olympic athlete and nick what does it take to be great
2: balance i'm you know if i had to describe it in one word it's going to be balance um you can get burnt out so quickly if if you don't have that and i've seen i've been able to not you know not even able to but i've watched some great athletes just burn themselves out they don't have the balance they don't make time for anything else and you'll hear some athletes say you know i had to go 100 percent and some be like ah, well i need the middle i'm more of a middle ground kind of guy where i need to be able to take a step back remove myself as the olympic figure and just be you know, my, my parent's son for a little bit, help him around the yard and, and do stuff and, and help the neighbors mow lawns or, you know, whatever I have to do, I I need to take that balance and, and take a step back and, and just be me for a little bit.
1: And what is it in your daily routine that keeps you balanced because you have such an intense routine, you
2: know, um, actually my truck. It, yeah. It's my truck, actually. <laughs> he was just showing there's yeah, yeah, yeah. a red pickup truck <laughs> outside. That is, and he
1: said with um, some some icons on it.
2: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it is. That's kind of my my getaway. If I'm having a, a rough day or I just need to get away, um, you know, everything in the Olympic Training Center is under one roof. So you can go weeks if you wanted to without leaving this place. Um, which is fantastic, but you can get cabin fever when it starts getting kind of cold, and you know you don't go outside. Right. So what I do to kind of keep that balance is I'll just jump in my truck, um, you know, throw on the country music, and uh, just take a little you know five minute drive around to kind of just clear the mind um, and just remove myself from the training aspect of of being an athlete and just let myself be a thirty one year old guy and just go for a cruise, you know, just, yeah. just hang out, waste a little gas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Feel, feel the the elements around you a little exactly. bit. Exactly. You must like snow to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and you're from California. How does that
2: work? Yeah. The, the bobsledding <laughs> hotbed of, of the U.S. I am not really a, a cold kind of guy, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, it's, it was, it's how I got into the sport is, is kind of unreal in itself, but it's,
1: Tell us about that.
2: Um, I, it actually started off as a as a joke, as a joke with my family. Um, I was going to school at UC Santa Barbara at the time, uh, another bobsledding hotbed, and uh, <laughs> and you know I was a track athlete coming out of high school as a freshman. So this is 2004. Um, just to give a reference of time, and so I'm just, you know just a little scrawny freshman in college, <laughs> <broad>, wide eyed <laughs> at one of the biggest party schools in the country, kind of trying to survive. And uh, my parents came down after a track meet, and we just went for a drive up in the San Inez Mountains. And as you're coming back down, you can kind of see this windy road all the way towards campus. And my mom just kind of casually says under her breath, Oh, look, it looks like a bobsled track. And my was like, You're fast. You totally try for the bobsled team. And again, I'm a 165 pound sprinter, so never been to the snow. And so I was like, Oh, yeah, that's a great idea, you know. That'd be so much fun. I always, I've always wanted to be a race car driver, so I was like, oh, that's perfect. It's one of my ways in. Um, and <laughs> they go home um, back to Monterey, which is only a couple hour drive. And when I get back to campus, I check my email, and they sent me a whole bunch of uh, combine results how to try out for the team, who's on the team, what I need to do to make the team. And so that was just a running joke. You know, what, what do I need to do to, to make the Bob's team? If I ever had a bad Track meet, I would be like, oh well, there's always bobsled when this is over, and I uh, eventually transferred to Boise State, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's if you if and there's a 180 t- from Santa Barbara to to yeah. a different university is Boise State, and uh, I just absolutely fell in love with it, and wow. you know, got up there, got a little little taste of the cold, uh, you know, I I showed up in a sweatshirt because I thought Probably that more was more
1: wind, right? Yeah,
2: I was it was I was <laughs> like, oh, you know, sweatshirts that's good for yeah for the cold, and I was wrong. It actually snows there a little bit. Um, and so I thought that was my mental preparation for Bob. So I was like, oh, this is a sign. You know, I just keep going further <laughs> east. And, uh, you know, right after my whole life was mapped out to college graduation. That's all my goals were, were, you know, graduate high school, get a Division One scholarship, graduate college. And then it kind of, my goals stopped. I never really looked past that. Yeah. And I got to that kind of crossroads and it was after you graduate college, either you have, you know, no doors open or all your doors open, you know, it's kind of up to you. And I was like, well, I'm not really ready to give up the athletics yet. Um, I knew I wasn't going to make the summer Olympics. I, my times and just genetics, I wasn't going to make it. So it was almost like a, it was a, it was
1: like it was faded. Yeah. Um, it was like, <laughs> you know,
2: well, there's always bobsled. And so <laughs> I decided as a, 22 year old college graduate that if anything was going to come out of this out of bobs coming to try out for the bobsled team it would be a really funny bar joke down the road you know if, if anything happened it would be, a, it would be a, a, a fun story to tell my friends and
1: Nick tried out for yeah, bobsled I, 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 yeah you know everyone's always trying to one-up <laughs> stories They're like yeah. well
2: listen guys I tried out for the bobsled team so mm-hmm. let's be real here um, and Eighteen months later, I went to my first Olympic Games after that trial, wow.
1: Wow. and I
2: never looked back. And, uh,
1: Would you call it a, a passion and a love or an addiction now?
2: A little bit of both. Yeah. It, it's, it's uh, I, I love the speed. I love again. I always want to be that race car driver, and I, I I still want to be that race car driver. And this has been kind of my my outlet. You know, my my going track and field. My my race car were my legs. That's how I won my races. And and now I kind of get to go and and do stuff that I never thought possible. We get to work with BMW all the time and, and test drive cars. Cool. Um, we get to go down and, and look at the race shops. Our our head engineer uh, Richard worked with Penske Racing for a long time, so we get to just I get to see one of the best in the business and kind of what his demands are and what his expectations are. And you, you know, get
1: input. You give input. Uh, I do. I do. do. And so. you know
2: and and what he's able to do and just the smarts of being an engineer what I mean you say one thing and he'll have it done whether he has it or not he'll make it happen so does that
1: translate back into your sled
2: it does yeah so he'll you know if I say oh I'm feeling this I'm feeling that he will go and and fix it he knows everything it's if there is a mad scientist out there it's him and (laughs) he's out there he puts in more time than any of us athletes combined like he is he is our kind of the glue that holds this whole thing together and uh, you know, just kind of the direction that our sleds are going, you know, we have some of the best equipment in the world. and I mean, I get to drive 95 miles an hour without a motor.
1: How do you do that in a Zen mode and, and be precise and not kill everybody? I mean, obviously, there's enough people that make this work that they're doing it, but it, how do you do that literally?
2: It's a controlled chaos. It's when we're pushing the sled, there's a misconception that the drivers don't push. Uh-huh. We are pushing just as hard as the brakemen are for that first 50 meters but then when we jump in it's a you know take that deep breath take that you know you have to shut your mind off and go into that zen mode you have to kind of shut everything down and be able to feel these pressures and and kind of if something goes wrong you have to make an on the spot correction Without thinking, because if you think you're on your head, you're upside down, and you. It's too fast. It's it's too fast. You can't make a correction.
1: So, how do you train all that time so that it's automatic?
2: Uh, Imagery. We do a lot of mental imagery. So,
1: the drivers are doing more visualization.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, we only get two, maybe three training runs a day. And so it's not like we can go out there and, you know, NASCAR, they can run lap after lap after lap. And they're only going in a circle right? where, you know, we have up to 20 corners (laughs) and we have to figure out every line possible, if they're good lines, bad lines, what happens. And you'll see drivers in the start house and every one of them is doing mental imagery. We're all kind of flowing down the track and you'll see them kind of moving their arms and and driving down the track. And as you get better, you can actually get very close to your downtime in your mind of, of what you'll be going and it's the mind is an unbelievable thing. So I can take 20, 30 reps in your mind in my mind and
1: and you're creating like neuron neuron pathways, mm-hmm. exactly. a whole network that actually drives you. Yeah. I, I I never
2: understood how important mental imagery was until this sport and and getting to this level. Yeah. It, it it is a must if you want to be successful in any sport.
1: And do you do anything else like do you meditate? Do you take breathing or do you you know do you do um,
2: things that are it's uh, back to the country music yeah it's <laughs> back to country music i you know i don't listen to the crazy screaming music or or the hardcore rap like a lot of people do i i listen to country music because it calms me down it kind of sets me takes me back home takes me back with my friends where i'm kind of in a calm mental state okay and it's that's what i want to be in you know it's it's just it's the, the sport needs to be fun for me. When it's not fun anymore, then I know it's time for me to hang it up. And right now I'm having the time of my life. So it's, I, I know that I still have a couple more years to go. Uh,
1: well, you know, synonymous with country music is drinking. And <laughs> it's true. do you, do you no longer drink alcohol? Did you drink alcohol a bunch before? Like most kids and most in college and all that my mom's
2: not gonna be listening to this issue no no. mom don't listen <laughs> mom close your ears um i mean I, I like to go out and have beers with the guys it's you know i think it's all in moderation uh, again balance, balance. Mm-hmm. um you know you can't be going out and, and getting hammered but do i think a beer here beer there is okay i i haven't my best race ever in the 100 meters and 200 meters were after i had a beer with my buddies the night before same with all my races you know it's, just, it's it just kind of calms me down I'm not saying drinking's my, no. my vice, but I, I definitely you know I like to go out and have a beer with the guys it's, it's just who I am and and it's it's
1: see I'm curious it, because you know people are one way before they get into this and then what changes once they have dedicated to this and you're saying I'm still kind of the same in many ways mm-hmm. is that right
2: I, I didn't want to change I mean, balance the when, when you go a little north of 30 years old, you know, you can't be, you don't, you don't <laughs> rebound as fast. You're still a
1: spring chicken <laughs> It's uh, you, know,
2: you don't rebound as fast from, from the <laughs> night out. So, I mean, it's it's all in moderation. It, yeah. It's, you know, I, I have great nutritionists that I can refer to. I have a good coaching staff here, uh, strength, ca- strength staff, um, and I get body fat testing every four weeks. And, you know, I, I have all these things to make sure that I am on track. And it's... You know, it, it, as part of the sport, a lot of the sponsors in Germany are beer companies. So when you get on the victory right. stand, they want you to chug their beer. And I'm, you know, that's.
1: Well, you're, you're, you're seasoned for that. Yeah, the you gotta be seasoned. Right? You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> you go can in there. You can not accept all things. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> well, we'll be right back with more <laughs> with Nick Cunningham, <laughs> <laughs> U.S. men's bobsled. We'll be right back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter.
3: To help those in need with physical, spiritual, and emotional ailments or trauma. Individuals and families may book private sessions in person or via Skype worldwide. Go to MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information. Enjoy Winifred's monthly articles with upwards of 30,000 fans. To buy music and subscribe to her Voice America radio show, visit iTunes worldwide. Follow along on Facebook at Making Life Brighter for her latest humanitarian effort to help move elephants in South America to a free roam sanctuary.
0: Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams.
1: And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. You can find all the archives on the player at makinglifebrighter.com on the radio tab. And we are live in Lake Placid. We are talking to Nick Cunningham, two-time men's U.S. bobsled Olympian, and uh, country music aficionado,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> bobsled driver, um, college graduate, and U.S. sergeant. And this this man is incredible. He has not only drive and purpose, but heart. And we are talking about that today. So. Tell us, Nick, what it's like to be a driver of other people, and what you expect of your teammates.
2: Um, it's it's stressful. It is stressful, um, but there's there's nothing else like it. It's to to jump in a, a two man sled or a four man sled. Uh, men's drivers will do both. We'll we'll pick our two man guy from our four man crew, so we can kind of switch our our two man around. Um, but it is two driving styles. One, the two man's like driving a Ferrari. The four man's like driving a, a Greyhound bus. And, uh, you know, just the weight difference. There's two other guys in there. It's a little bit longer, so you can't drive as, as easily. But, you know, with all that extra weight, you kind of, once you get into trouble, there's no coming out of it. So you, you just need to try to try to work perfection as much as you can. And, you know, I, I just, from my guys, I, I expect them to be as motivated as I am as you know I want to make sure that they want to be there just as much as I am because when I get down on myself and you know we're 15 weeks away from home in the cold all of our clothes are dirty and grungy and we're sitting there in a cold garage in Europe I need them to pick me up I want them to be like hey you know we got this tomorrow like let's go back and get it. I need that um and that's kind of what I base my crew around you know I at the beginning of every year drivers we pick our own teams and so that's what I try to do is go in there and really look at personalities. You know, who's gonna push well with each other? Who's gonna buy into the program? Who's not gonna be that kind of bad apple of the team to kind of drag everybody down? Because ultimately I'm picking guys that I think are gonna make that World Cup team and who we're gonna be with for a long time. And uh, so, so I try to go in there and just get guys that we wanna be around. Guys that can get it done on the track, get it done in the weight room and and get it done as as a group you know you want to make sure you have that team cohesion
1: and how do you motivate them you're the leader Ho- i know hopefully by winning
2: you know <laughs> it's uh winning brings everybody together uh and it's you just try to find that common bond with everybody and it's we have a great team it, it, all the usa one two three four five we have a great group of drivers and a great group of brakemen and everybody gets along you know we, we've managed to kind of get a really solid group of athletes and kind of turn them on to what we're doing, what direction we want this federation to go and what are our, our goals, you know, gold in Pyeongchang in 2018. That's, that's the goal. You know, if, if your goal's not that I'm, it's a little rough to say, but we don't need you here. It's, it's, it's a very cutthroat sport where we want only the best and the most motivated people to go. And so that's kind of where we're at now, especially with, two seasons left before the Olympic Games. We need the best possible people on the hill.
1: And what do you anticipate going forward in this next year? What is what is in your mind in the next three months, the next six months? What, what are you looking at? How do you see it?
2: Um, you, you you must have read my mind, because I actually just did a three-month, six-month, nine-month, year <laughs> uh, goal sheet. Um, it, it's you know a lot of personal goals. You know, I don't want to make team goals, because when you're racing, there are so many variables. In a bobsled race, that it's hard to understand what's going on. Everything from uh, sled setup to runners—you know, the the blades that we slide on—to um, athlete health, nutrition, performance. Um, weather is a big one. Uh,
1: you can't control that. You yeah. can't
2: control it. You know, so it's a lot of stuff that goes into it, and you could drive yourself crazy looking for that hundredth of a second. I've lost races by a hundredth of a second and it kills you inside. Yeah. Cause you know, what could I have done differently? What What do I need to do? And you just need to focus on what you did well in those situations, what could you have improved on and then move forward. Not, I, I screwed this up, I'm gonna dwell on this. Cause there's not enough time in the sport to dwell. It's, it's uh, you know, I'm not trying to beat any other driver. I'm trying to beat the track every single day. And in turn, hopefully I'll be beating every other driver. But, you know, if I start trying to beat another pilot, I've already been been beaten because I've taken my mind off of the uh, task at hand. So so it is kind of a a unique sports psychology, mental imagery, leadership role that we kind of take on as a driver.
1: Well, it's kind of like you're forming your own unit. And it's almost like going back to the Army again, that mentality, now not everybody has that background Mm -hmm. and they're doing it Additionally, as well. But how do you discipline? What is it you do that disciplines you toward um, your goal, physically, mentally?
2: I think just knowing where I want to be. Um, I, I know that I'm not n- at that point. Um, you know, I've a lot of injuries that kind of kept me down. And so now that I'm healthy, I, I know where I want to be. I've, I've been able to watch my teammates win numerous Olympic medals. And I've been able to celebrate their medals but I go home without the medals. And that, as an athlete, that kills me inside. You know, You cool. put in the
1: same amount of dedication yeah, and time. Yeah, you know, so, I've yeah. done it,
2: but I didn't go home with the medals. And so, being able to have, arguably one of the best drivers in the world of, of you know, probably the last 20, 30 years, and Steve Holcomb, being able to have him still on my team, um, and being able to watch him train, how he kind of handles himself. You know, what, what, are he, what is he doing with sled setups? And again, we're competitors, you know, we're all Team USA, but we're very much competitors. Um, so we don't tell each other everything, but you know, you try to sneak in a little, little info here and there, but it's, uh, you know, to have that, it's a huge training tool for me to be able to watch what it takes to be the best and, and kind of see what he's doing.
1: If you could list, well, if you could say one thing about yourself that you would want to improve upon, what would that be?
2: Ooh, um, one thing I want to improve. I mean, that you wouldn't ask me that. I probably could have gave you a list. Um, one thing I want to improve.
1: I have a wait. Let me yes. reframe the question. It was a great master actually posed this question? I'm I'm reframing it now that I'm thinking of this. If there were one thing you could do that would then change everything else to make it easier, what would it be?
2: Um, try to be a better leader on the team. I, I think that that would be a key for me. Um, you know, it's I can lead my team. I, I have a very successful track record of being very good at team trials, but if I have a bad run, I, it gets to me. And instead of kind of stepping it up and and picking my teammates up, you know, I kind of can dwell on that. Like I was just saying, what you can't do is what I do. That's why I said you can't do it. Um, And so if I could kind of be that guy, and really, no matter what the circumstance, even if I'm down, if I can kind of pseudo act motivated, you know, they'll
1: let it go. They'll
2: kind of pick it up. And uh, I I think that that would kind of be contagious, not just on my crew, but to the crews around me and, and the tour. So I think that's what I can do.
1: And of the things that you do what's what would you say is your best attribute that you bring to the table for them
2: uh passion, very passionate you know it's it's no matter what it is training day any any training day race day, whatever it is I want to win you know I, I want to be the best I want to have fun it, it's it's if anything it's before if I put my hand in the middle, and you know, if you ever watched a bobsled race, and you see me put my hand in the middle, before every single practice cadence, I'll say, let's have some fun, before everyone. And I've told my guys, you know, like, I don't want you guys to have any fun, I'm trying to have all the fun. You know, it, It's <laughs> I do that as a mental cue to remember that this is supposed to be fun. Because you can lose the fun very quickly when you start looking at all the different variables. It becomes not fun anymore. This is still a sport that we're not getting paid to do this is fun. And so I say it for me to to kind of keep that mentality of like hey, let's have some fun, you know, take the stress off. Let's just go out there and push for each other and and try to be the best in the world today.
1: Bringing the joy to it again. Exactly. Holding the joy. We got
2: to hold the joy. Holding the joy. Yeah. Do
1: they hold the joy for you?
2: They do. It's I have a I mean, my crew is a different bunch. You know, we we kind of are we just like to have fun, you know. You'll see us just windows down rolling to the track um blaring the Hulk Hogan theme song i'm a real american (laughs) rolling up to a german track and we're all heads out the window and it's we like to have fun you know we're
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good visual It's, uh, it's a good one you know we we
2: we we are very much competitors uh there's a place in town that has hot wings oh yeah and uh you know that's kind of our thing that you know, we'll do it. We'll we'll go to to Rite Aid and we'll put our hands in like the cuff for the blood pressure, and whoever has the highest blood pressure, has to take a hot wing the next day. Like we do, we will compete at whatever is possible. So we like to have fun and, and joke around and and uh, you know, it's not just us. We take the other crews. We'll go, you know, go out and grab some dinner with everybody and try to be a big family.
1: And how is it that you train? What is what's the core thing that you do for your squats? Training? Yeah,
2: we are squatting.
1: What are you squatting?
2: uh we will my squat is right around 185 kilos uh, pounds i could not tell you times that by 2.2 <laughs> yeah that's all i know um and so we do that three times as our combine uh testing uh my goal is to power clean 150 kilos and uh squat 200 kilos which is i know that's 440 pounds um but you know we live and die by the, the power clean the squat And the 30-meter sprint.
1: How are your knees?
2: Uh, From bobsled, not bad. From 10 years of track and field. Yeah. I can feel them.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I, I can feel that kind of. That's the first thing to go.
1: And, and do you take anything for that? Can you take like glucosamine and? Oh yeah. So I mean, everything we do,
2: we, uh, we're all under USADA, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. So we're all very cautious of that because.
1: I guess I should rephrase that. I don't mean taking. Do you supplement with natural yeah, supplements yeah, is what yeah. I'm trying we, to I mean, say. We do a lot of,
2: we do a lot of uh, you know, we'll, everything from, from a pre-workout to a protein to, you know, some guys' rooms look like a straight GNC because yeah. there's so many products. Because when you're training all the time, especially when we're on the road, when we're in Europe, we just don't get that nutrition that we, we do here. They don't eat in Europe like we do here as as athletes and so we need to supplement a lot of a lot of nutrition stuff.
1: Yeah that's amazing and we'll be right back you're listening to making life brighter radio we're here with Nick Cunningham two time US Olympiad US men's bobsled we'll be right back
3: do you want to make a difference in the world? Join Making Life Brighter Radio to help create a free roam sanctuary for elephants in South America. Finally, there's a working solution for elephants on our planet. People often say they don't know what to do to help animals that are in danger. But now you can team up with Making Life Brighter Radio and your host, Winifred Adams, to give elephants from Brazil and Argentina the freedom to roam in a wild sanctuary in a remote area of Brazil. Free to socialize, heal, and live the life they were always meant to live. Your contribution will build the fences and the Elephant Care Center for the massive of Free Rome Sanctuary and set these sacred animals free. Donate today and mention you heard it on Making Life Brighter Radio. Listen to the amazing series Live from Brazil where Winifred speaks to CEO and Board President of the Global Sanctuary for Elephants. To donate and for more information log on to GlobalElephants.org
1: We're live in Lake Placid, New York, and I'm here with two-time U.S. bobsled men's Olympiad, Nick Cunningham, from Monterey, California, now living in Lake Placid and living and training yet again for another Olympics. And he is the driver of the bobsled team, one of the drivers. And uh, we've been discussing this with Nick, and we've been talking about what it's like to be inside the mind of an Olympic athlete, and also inside your heart. You seem to have heart. and I'd like to know what really melts your heart.
2: Oh man. Um, what melts my heart? I think effort Uh, efforts, a big one. It's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm one of those guys that appreciate a little amount of effort. I think that in the society we live in today, it's, it's such a me now, give me, give me, I want to try to get whatever I can at the least amount of work. And so just kind of, Seeing a little bit of effort goes a long way with me because I do. Being passionate, being you know, motivated and driven, I, I like to see other people be successful and I love hearing their stories about adversity and, and what they've had to overcome. And you know, when I do my speaking, that's I refer to everyone else's stories on top of my own because it's easy to talk about myself, but to you know, if you can talk about all these other stories. It's incredible. So, I, I think every story that I've ever spoken of or anything I've ever heard, it's their effort level and, and you know, effort towards me. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I kind of.
1: It sounds to me like you're a guy that really puts value on respect.
2: Yes, respect is big. I, I, I do value respect as probably one of my top qualities. And
1: what does the word intention mean to you?
2: Man, that's intention. <sighs> It's when when I think of intention, I think of putting your mind to something, and but also getting it done. It, it's I, I do think of of having that. You know, er, I, I don't know who like said it. Like a follow through. Exactly. It's you know any like a a goal without a plan is a wish, uh, and you know I, I love that quote. I'm a big quotes guy, so. I just i I believe in that I, I believe that intention needs a plan, and so I could sit here and dream up i 'm going to become an astronaut and i 'm going to do all this different stuff but what 's your plan what are, what are what are your intentions when you get there what are, what is your pathway going to be to get there that 's the only way to be successful is if you have a plan
1: well, you just said in the last segment that you were talking about the three month six month mm-hmm. nine month plan, and if you don 't visualize like what you said in the first segment oh, yeah. if you 're not visualizing. The plan to get down the mountain is not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Or at least happen successfully. Exactly.
2: And you know, when when people's lives are on the line, I, I need to make sure that I have that plan, that I've done my homework, that I've I've I'm ready for this high stress situation, and they trust me enough and and they feel confident in me to get them down safely, because again, we can win or lose a race by a hundredth of a second. I can't have them holding back because they don't know if I'm mentally stable to go down the hill.
1: And so that leads me to my next question. What What can make someone under that much pressure break? And do you break? How do you handle emotions under that pressure?
2: Um, people do break. It's, you know, that's a lot of the stuff you see on TV. It's athletes flipping out. And because we, a lot of athletes are told to mask their emotions. Do not show your emo- emotions. One, it looks bad. And, and two, it kind of gives the competitor the opponent a kind of a look at at what breaks you you don't want to give them that you don't want to give an opponent a look at okay well this is what breaks them so you know it's it's gamesmanship you know at that point it's you you got to go so you know i was always told that growing up as an athlete if i had a good race a bad race you, you shake their hand whether you like it or not and then you move on um, and, and that was a big thing because, especially now wearing USA on my back, I don't represent myself. I, If I throw a helmet, it looks bad on my country, not me. And as long as you have that in the back of your mind, no matter what you have to do, get to the start house, get to the finish house, get to the hotel. Do not do anything bad that's going to kind of hurt you, hurt your family, hurt can you imagine if we
1: all function that way, and what a different country we'd be if we <laughs> all actually behaved that way? <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty
2: unbelievable. It's uh. It's a mindset. It's it is. You know, it's it's you can't say what's on your mind. It's it's you you need to have kind of tact in everything that you do, especially at this level, um, at any professional level, whether you know any professional job you need to have tact
1: can you then reach out to people and talk it through you know how like first responders they have to go in and decompress with somebody after mm-hmm. the fact we don't get to see all that but that's a major part of their their stuff whatever they're doing it's that kind of intensity with this yeah, yeah. Do you we, have? To- we,
2: we have that we have outlets we have sports psychologists that you know he, he'll come to the track and just kind of sit there and he doesn't sit there and say okay let's lay on the couch and let's yeah. you know tell me all your feelings <laughs> no if we want to talk he's there yeah. because in such a high stress sport where one race could determine if i'm going to the next olympics or not you know it, it's it's as easy as that and it you can just absolutely drive your mind crazy and stress yourself out and and we can't have that in the sport i need to make sure when i'm on standing on that starting block yeah bobsleds all that's on my mind. I have 20 corners ahead of me. I have a game plan and my brakeman and I, we, all we want to do is win. And I need to make sure I don't have anything else on my mind. So we do the same thing. We have sports psychologists. We have coaches we can talk to. We have our teammates we can talk to. So we, we stress out just as much. We just try not to show it on TV or, or in front of the crowd.
1: What do you look forward to when you win the gold?
2: Um, probably giving that back to my community. I think being able to take a gold medal to my community would be my most proud thing I've ever been able to do um, as as an athlete. I mean, winning a gold medal would be the most proud thing ever in itself. But being able to because I have the greatest community back home in Monterey, California, um, that have been supportive of me from day one in this crazy journey of, of trying to become an Olympic bobsledder from surfing. So, um, you know, I'd be able to have that yeah. support from my family and everybody, family, friends, and uh, the community, It's it's been awesome to kind of have that and be able to share this with with everyone back home. And, and I think bringing home a, a, a medal would be kind of the icing on the cake.
1: How has this changed you over time? What's
2: it's definitely matured. I, I, I've been able to mature a lot, though. No. A lot of people around me probably wouldn't say so, but mature <laughs> maturity is, is big because as a driver, you, you deal with a lot of the finances of your team. You are the leader of the team. You are the sometimes travel agent of the team. Um, there's a lot of logistics that go into moving two sleds around the world with four different guys. It's so, not
1: cushy. People think that you know somebody handles all these things, and you all do it yourselves. It's, yeah,
2: it's, it's very hands-on you know we are very big with uh, working with our operations people and and our travel agents and whatnot so so we are trying to help them and they're asking us because flights will get canceled changed and we're all over the place and and I can't imagine the headache it is for them trying to deal with 30 or 40 athletes changing flights last minute and getting canceled from home and so it's kind of that maturity is is up there.
1: So I ask everybody the same question at the end of every interview and... It's going to be what, a doozy. Yeah. It's going to be a doozy. I, I'm leading up to it here. Here we go. Now, what was the number one single... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like,
3: oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: kidding. What makes your life brighter?
2: Family. I, I definitely think family. Um, I have a new little two-year-old niece up in uh, Roseville, California. So my brother's... he's uh, He's a stay-at-home dad. So it's super cool that he will just Skype me or FaceTime me all the time, and I'll be able to kind of, uh, you know, talk to her and watch her grow up. Because that's the hardest thing about being an athlete away from home, is missing the second birthdays and and watching her grow up. The sacrifice. Exactly, the sacrifice, it's very easy to focus on all the sacrifices. So being able to have them almost eliminate the sacrifices by kind of sacrificing and, and working with me, It it makes me be able to come out here and and focus on what I need to do and still kind of get that family time.
1: And that's win, win, win. We wish you the best. We want to see it, bring it home. Thank you. Thank you, Nick Cunningham, for coming out and being with us on Making Life Brighter Radio.
0: Thank you for listening to Making Life Brighter on the Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 10 a.m., For information, inspiration, and education with leading experts in healing and consciousness. For more information and a complete show schedule, please visit us at brighter.com. Making Life Brighter, successfully helping you feel better from the inside out. Go Jolly! The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio
2: Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.